Welcome to The Real Enneagram, A Spiritual Quest, brought to you by the Institute for Conscious Being. Join us as we experience the vital teachings of Enneagram expert Dr. Joseph Howell, clinical psychologist and author of Becoming Conscious, The Enneagram's Forgotten Passageway. Relax as you are taken beyond personality typing to The Real Enneagram, The Spiritual Development of the Soul. Welcome back to a podcast entitled The Real Enneagram. A spiritual quest. Thank you for joining us today for this very special podcast where we have all of our faculty members present. And today I want to introduce each of the faculty members. Uh, first, we have Roger Conville. Hello. I love Roger. Um, we also have Barbara Sloan. How are you? I'm fine. Welcome, everyone. Of course, we have uh, the Dr. Joseph Howell. He's with us today. How are you doing, Dr. Howell? Very good. Glad to be here, Erica. His better half is with us, Mrs. Lark Howell. Hi, I'm glad to be here. She looks pretty in pink today. Uh, Drexel Rafer, the Dr. Reverend Drexel Rafer. Hello, Erica. I love Drexel. How are you doing, Melanie? This is Melanie Rogers. She's also on the faculty. Hey, everybody. And last but not least, the Reverend John Adams. The cleanup man. (laughs) (laughs) Great. Well, it's exciting to be here with everyone. The spirit in the air is really great. And today, Dr. Howell, what are we going to be speaking about? Well, we're going to take a break from our exploration of the ideal essential aspects because we have the rare opportunity of the whole ICB faculty to be together today for an extended meeting. We've taken some of the meeting in order to do uh, this podcast today. And so what we're going to do is have the faculty speak about what they have noticed, the students, especially those who they have mentored in the training program, uh, as in the scholars and masters training program in the consciousness studies and the uh, spirituality of the Enneagram, how those students have gone through transformation. What, because of this information, have they been able to apply that has made very great differences in the quality of their lives? Okay, great. So we're going to be talking about what we've witnessed as faculty, and we've all been together for a good long time now, which is makes this group so coherent and congruent, but each of the faculty members obviously have a great story. We won't name any names, of course, of the students, but we just want to talk about the power of the Enneagram, I guess, is really the underlying message, yeah. and how it increases our awareness and consciousness and how that changes people's lives. Absolutely. Is there a faculty member that would like to go first? Anyone? Would you like to? Okay. We're going to listen, uh, hear from Melanie. Um, in our experience in our group, what I noticed um, through the few days of the training, which was really um, a wonderful thing to, to witness, was that some of the, some of the group members, um, even though it was a painful process, realized that maybe what they were doing for a living um, wasn't speaking to their real self, their true self, their essence, and that although it was painful um, to to look at, you know, as a group that supported this process as well, looking at um, some alternatives that could be speaking to more of who they truly 
would be, whether that would mean leaving a job or changing the job the way it is or doing the same kind of work for different reasons. But it really spoke to um, their authenticity and living their life out of their true selves. Were they willing to give that first job up? Or have they made the leap yet or are they hanging back? All of the above, but are considering um, options to stay, but but uh, it's, it seems as if like the um, like the soil has been loosened, that there are options in their lives that um, because of the importance of being true to themselves, but some were, were considering you know giving up um, a job altogether too. Well, Melanie and I were in the same mentor group, so I know exactly what you're talking about. I think we felt a level of frustration in the first few sessions where people were uncovering through the heart training that they they came in feeling wound tight, feeling frustrated and not really knowing why. And as we worked through the heart center and we began to open up to our own feelings, it allowed them to be authentic and to begin to identify that it might be the career that they had that they were in that they thought was the right thing to do but maybe it wasn't life-giving. That, so. that that's interesting because uh, when when um, when you first asked this question, Joe, and I started thinking of specific persons uh, in my own mentor group in this last training, um, what came to mind is I saw softening, uh, people softening up, not being as resistant. And uh, the more I thought about that, the more I reflected on it, uh, that seemed to me to reflect a sense of greater strength developing inwardly so that they wouldn't have to have that crust of protection. And when they did that, one person in my group uh, came and said, is this really mine to do, what I'm doing? And, um, and, and so it takes a bit of that internal strengthening which comes with the softening of the boundaries so that you become more safely permeable mm -hmm. so to speak and so that 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 seems to me one of the reasons why those vocational issues then rise to the surface this you know, what am i called to do because uh, you can't really face that if you haven't experienced some sort of inward strengthening so that you're capable of being vulnerable to taking the risk i've had the uh, Pardon me. I've had the opportunity uh, to be with my group for a couple of years, and um, it's been so um, wonderful to watch the transformation over that time period because we've had some who've moved on and had new folks uh, added to our group. And each time someone new comes in the door, um, the group just immediately embraces them. And so that power of community and intimacy in a group, to be able to freely bear your soul and know that it's okay to address your needs and that others will affirm you and not critique you, uh, that has been extremely powerful in our particular group. And what's interesting, there's some egotypes that don't realize they need that, like mine, for example, the egotype eight. Uh, that doesn't sound good to me at all, coming to a training and sitting in a group and talking about feelings. It sounds terrible, really, punishment. But in fact, once you get there, it's nothing like that. It's actually very life-giving. 
we would love to have you in our group. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, uh, the Reverend John Adams here is an ego type too, and that is where I go to in integration. And he's right now he's extending his arms open to me for a hug, and I don't want a hug. So, um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Of course, I want a hug. Um, so, but the point being that you do see, even for me, you know, the the ego type eights that come are usually, like Drexel said, very resistant and crusty in the beginning, and you do see them soften over time. So, it's funny you're talking about eights. Um, I taught a Sunday school class on the Enneagram the day after we came home from our last training, and. After the class, an eight came up to me and said, I just get so angry all the time, and what can I do to to not act out on my anger? And I said, well, that's one thing we learned in our training, and we just talked about that this past weekend, and that is the idea that between stimulus and response, as Viktor Frankl so wonderfully pointed out, there is a space where you can... If you can make that space bigger and bigger, you can um, you can choose your response. And he said, I can really do that? How do I do that? And I said, well, it's spiritual practice, which is what we always talk about. But we in our group talked about that some and how that is lengthening, that space is getting bigger and bigger for people. And while we're talking about that, Barbara, what is our mission statement for the Institute for Conscious Being? We are here not to make everyone experts at the Enneagram, but to help people grow in consciousness. And that's what you're speaking to right now. I mean, you know, for an ego type eight, the only way for us to begin to not respond to everything with anger is to grow in consciousness. And really the only way to do that is through spiritual practice. So, so we don't have the history that some others have with their groups, but I wanted to echo what Drexel had mentioned, and but the word malleable came to mind for me, um. similar, um, but having to do with the environment that they are are in, safe, accepting, embracing, and allowing easy to allow a person to make themselves vulnerable in front of other people and malleable and they're they're looking for change and uh, they're they're going to be a great group they're going to be a great group yeah, I was just thinking about there's a lot of people in the Enneagram community that believe that this should be a narrative tradition that the Enneagram should be and there's something to that because you know I read all the books prior to coming to my first training. And then when you sit in a group of people and you talk about, you know, these life issues uh, with other people who are on the same journey of seeking and have the language and the lens of the Enneagram, um, the books come alive like they don't when you're just sitting in solitude reading them. One of the uh, things for our particular group, uh, as we first came together, we had a ground rule that I was there as a facilitator and not the expert, that I was on the journey with them. And that empowerment of each member to ask questions of one another and to stimulate thought and growth in one another 
um, that sense of accountability and responsibility was uh, powerful to watch as it unfolded over these last couple of years. Gosh, that's a great point. Almost every person in my mentor group is 10 times smarter than me. And they come in and I learn something every single time we all get together for sure. Yeah, I think uh, yeah, I, that's happened to me so often. Is that um, is I will be sitting there listening to somebody in the mentor group speak, and I think, well, why aren't they leading the group? You know, um, but that that's happened over and over. But I, I wanted to go back something you said about you know you you read all the books before you came, and uh, last night I was with a group of people and we were all talking about this, and um, and I've talked with a number of people over this last week, as a matter of fact, who want to identify what their number is, you know, and know what their ego number is. And what I've pointed out over and over again is somebody pegged me one time with a number that I came to find out that I was not. And I've, uh, I really uh, settled on my type when I was with the community. Mm-hmm. And, and so what, you're, what you seem to be emphasizing there, and you're nodding your head, and that's mm-hmm. good, um, for me anyway, mm-hmm. that you're agreeing with me. Mm-hmm. I, I need for Erica to agree with me. Yeah, we all do. I, yes, I agree with you, Drexel. Uh, uh, thank so you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the, the, um, is that we learn this in community best. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- there's, that's that's where we learn how to do, uh, you know, how to how to live. It's it's got to be in community. It can't be in isolation. A, a, a cowboy, long cowboy sort of thing. I, I love to tell the story, and y'all have all heard it a million times. But at my first conference, after reading all those books, I went to the three table, and uh, Terry kindly directed me to the eight table. <laughs> and uh, uh, it is, it's in community. And I guess I, you know, there's a lot of similarities between threes and eights, but the motivations are so different. Mm-hmm. So you know, you, in community, you learn those subtle subtleties, you know, yeah. and that that's what makes it so important. Well, I, I, I know that there are a couple of people in my mentor group that are, well, they're all wonderful, um, but two particularly stand out, and I'm thinking right now, and that is two people entered several years ago with a lot of personal issues, uh, one with family, extended family, mother, father, brothers, sisters, one with a spouse, and um, they had just discovered this study, and they were just on the brink of trying to delve into it and realize what their part in all of this these family issues were. And the beautiful part now, after three years or however long it's been, they realize that their situations have not changed, but they have changed. Their expectations, their sense of who they are, their sense of understanding their essence, moving to their essence and getting out of ego. And it's made a huge, huge difference in their lives. And the marital situation isn't any better. The extended family situation isn't any better. But they are not only coping, but they're thriving because they have been transformed and they have accepted their the, their understanding of this and they've gone to their essence and they're living a full and wonderful life in spite of the problems that they had been carrying around. And a lot of that goes back to what Barbara said. <clears throat> I think we learned that we're not our ego mm-hmm. and we learned that the, sta- the same stimulus keeps coming at us 
but our response can be just so different. And it's learning not only, well, first, I think the first part is to identify the stimulus that trigger, triggers us. I think we all have certain triggers that are worse than others. I know I do. And I think I have a lot more triggers than y'all do. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Well, and that's, uh, that's what keeps us going is when we see people whose lives have been transformed and changed and made difficult, and now they have life situation that is able, they're able to cope with because of their understanding of this, that's where the payoff is for us. No, I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> well, you just you just looked so intelligent and intellectual, so I was just going to walk over towards you. I would just like to go back to spiritual practice, which we didn't really fully talk about. Um, and that's the good thing about our training. We do heart center, head center, and gut center, and we have different sorts of spiritual practices for each of those so that people can um, try those all on for size and see which ones they like. But a lot of um, a lot of people really resonate with doing some sort of meditation and keeping quiet for 20 minutes or more a day. And that is one of the biggest um, transformers, I think, that we can see. But I'm sure other people have seen people who have done spiritual practice like getting out and walking in nature or reading spiritual works or running or you know you name it and it can be a spiritual practice mm -hmm. that that will help you that will just help you make that space between stimulus and response bigger and bigger well you know during my particular training i was made aware of all these spiritual practices so growing up in a really fundamental small religion, I thought the only spiritual practice was to pray and list out my list of requests to God and to read the Bible. And um, coming to training, I learned that there's so many other things that, that um, fill the spirit and uh, that are life-giving. And that was phenomenal for me to be able to incorporate, incorporate those different practices into my life. Roger? What I've noticed is more subtle, um, but it has to do with how people come and they have uh, a desire to learn. Uh, also, a desire to be willing to change. Uh, but, but then beneath that, we all bring our own personal matters in with us. And it's interesting how when when you see one of the participants unlock or unwrap something personal where they've been able to dig down into, it's like an epiphany sometimes. It's like, wow, like we've already talked about, it doesn't have to be this way. I don't I don't have to I don't have to come up against this over and over and over again the way I always have. Mm -hmm. This can change the way I live my life mm -hmm. and live it with others. And uh, they just, it's, oh, mm -hmm. it's, it's relief. It is. I mean, I've watched two things stand out to me. Uh, to watch the eight come to their first conference with arms crossed, furrowed brow, they sit in the back seat in the back row with their legs kicked up on the chair, like, just come over here and ask me to move my legs, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, you know, by the first or second training, you see them 
uh, being willing to hug others and being willing to be soft and to be vulnerable. And that that's phenomenal because when, when, a, when an average to unhealthy eight realizes that they really are a soft and loving and caring and nurturing person inside, it's life, life-giving and life-changing. That's number one. And number two, um, not to sound like a feminist or be too feministic or whatever, but I've seen a lot of women find their voice through this. And um, I know I have, and and that's really great too. I mean, even women in their 60s and 70s finally finding their voice and being able to speak up for themselves and being able to identify what they want, not what their families want or their spouses want or their church wants or whatever else. So... What's really interesting is uh, what we're talking about in this community and about um, all this uh, willingness to be vulnerable and open is it's uh, directly addressing one of the major problems of our time, and that is the epidemic of loneliness, which has been identified by researchers all over uh, the country and in other countries as well. Mm-hmm. But um, the as, as I've said over and over again, um, that the opposite of loneliness is not a lot of people. The opposite of loneliness is intimacy. It's the place where you can be vulnerable and open. And so that's what you know you can see happening in these mentor groups is that is that um, epidemic of loneliness. Where these people become immune to that. You know, is being able to well not immune, but um, they, they find they find an antidote to the to the separation and the lack of connectivity. And, uh, and that happens best when they're opening, when their boundaries are becoming more permeable, uh, they're becoming malleable. The New Testament word is they quit being, uh, or the Old Testament word, biblical word, is being stiff-necked, unteachable is what that boils down to. And they become malleable and open, teachable, learning new things, and do that in community. Loneliness dissipates. Mm-hmm. Anything to say? Mm-hmm. No. Okay. Well, everybody's just thinking about Drexel's very deep words. So I I think, I think it's important in, um, for us to speak to, uh, the training and the fact that what Barbara said is that, you know, the Enneagram, the purpose of the Enneagram is for transformation, uh, personal transformation and spiritual growth. And that's what we really try to teach. And, and there's so much joy in seeing the different individuals come into the program. Some, of, some individuals come into the program in crisis. Some don't come in crisis at all. They come as a part of just wanting to grow. Uh, we have a clergy and we have um, people who work as therapists and uh, in the helping professions who want to add this to their toolbox for helping other people. But, you know, there are people in crisis and it's really phenomenal to watch the transformation um, with the different people as they go through the training. I think uh, it's important that um, to speak of why transformation is basically simple through consciousness studies and the Enneagram. And that is um, when we think that we have to change we don't know where to go inside ourselves, who to be other than what we've already been. But the Enneagram, especially the way we teach it, makes it very clear that our problems come from our ego and the distortions of reality that our ego makes. 
in the form of compulsions and fixations and how we see other people inaccurately and how we have formed over a lifetime inaccurate responses to reality. But ask somebody to leave their ego and they go, well, what can I be if I'm not my ego? Who can I be? And the answer now is the entity with inside of us that preceded the ego, and that's the soul. And the soul is what we teach, is the place of our truest identity. It is our divine identity. And if we can flesh that out more, if we can understand who each of us is uh, in our own soul type, we know more about what our real capacities are, that when we're in the ego, we don't drill down far enough to access those capacities. So the, the people here today that have spoken about the transformations, every one of these teachers are soul teachers. They have led as mentors all of their groups for the past seven or eight years. They have led these people to understand their real identity. And then the divine has done the rest. Mm -hmm. That's so good. That's a great way. That's a great place to kind of find a stopping place. And thank you for... Uh, sharing that with us. And thank you all the faculty for being here. It's been a really great time. And uh, we, we want to thank uh, you for listening today. And we want to invite you to come to our next conference. And our next conference is going to be held at Canuga, which is an Episcopalian retreat center, which is beautiful. It's in the setting of the Appalachian Mountains in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Uh, wonderful food. It's on, set on a lake. And um, it's a, it's a wonderful conference, so we'd like you to, if you're interested in, in coming to that, uh, please go to theicb.org, and there's an events tab on our website that can take you right to the link to sign up for that. October, October 31st through November 3rd. Thank you. And um, lastly, I want to give a shout out to Seth Creekmore for being so kind to edit these podcasts now for so long, so many of them, and we're so grateful for that. Thank Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) All right. We we look forward to uh, having you join us again next week for this podcast. Thank you for being with us today. Check out our website at www.theicb.org. That's T-H-E-I-C-B dot O-R-G. If you have questions you would like to have answered on this podcast, just email us at the address on our website, theicb.org, under Contacts. And if you would like to attend one of the conferences or other events of the Institute for Conscious Being, you will find these presentations on our website under Events.